0: Uh, well, it was wide, like, you know. I don't know how many thousand people were, were, were here. I'd say every one of them thought it was wide except the umpire. But anyway, so sure, look, that's what happens when you, you know, when the way of grounds you don't tend to get
1: brave. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB-A-M. With Gillette. Get into your
2: flow with the new Gillette Labs razor with exfoliating bar. It's time to talk about uh, Manchester United. Daniel Harris, good morning to you.
1: Hello.
2: <laughs> Uh, Shane's a Man United fan. He said, buzzing after last night. Uh, Is that the general consensus? It's time to think uh, Man United are back, baby.
1: Um, I mean, they're not back until they actually do something, I don't suppose. But what I would say now is the thing that is most striking about United now that feels the most different is you go to games, you watch games, knowing that they're going to win. And that's not really been the case at any point since Fergie, where United draw Nottingham Forest in the League Cup final. And you know beforehand, there is not a chance United are going to lose this tie over two legs. It's not possible for Forest to beat United over two legs. And what we've seen, particularly over the last few weeks, is since the World Cup, is that they're not not—they're starting to win all these games and they're also starting to win them a little bit more comfortably now. Whereas at the beginning when they were winning, they were winning quite a lot of games narrowly. Now the attacking football and the confidence of the attacking football is semi-back, and they're starting to knock aside teams who they were struggling to beat before that.
2: We were having the philosophical discussion earlier on about uh, all trophies are not the same, that um, when you're at the start of a cycle, winning a trophy is more important and uh, feels better than when you're at the end of a cycle. That's not actually true for fans. I think for an outsider watching a club... This trophy for Manchester United will be more important than say anything that they won under Van Hal or Mourinho. As an outsider, but as a fan, all trophies are equal, right? You get the day out, you get to go to the match, you get to celebrate in the moment.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I, I would like United. United won you, when United won the Europa League under Mourinho. That was a massive trophy because that completed the set. That was every trophy that the club could win had been won, and there are very few clubs that can say that. And if you can't say it. If you couldn't say it then, you can't say it at all because the Cup Winners Cup doesn't exist anymore. So that, that Euro, and it also came the couple of days after the Manchester bombing. So that particular trophy, one under, one under uh, Mourinho was, it was an enormous trophy win that one. And then also, it's not just about the club story, it also can be about personal stories as to why particular trophies matter to you. So for me personally, I have a quite a close relationship with with the cup that they won under Van Gaal for various reasons and just some various things that were going on in my life at that time that made that a very significant one. So there'll there'll always be reasons. And also, that FA Cup win, if United don't beat Palace in that Cup final, then Alan Pardew doing that dance becomes enshrined in football folklore forevermore. (laughs) So United not beat... Number one, just football folklore didn't need that. So United saved the whole world from that. But also, United saved themselves from the humiliation of being the patsy that was the victim of that. In the same way now, actually... United don't want to go to Wembley and be the Patsies since Newcastle's last trophy since was it sixty eight sixty nine? United don't want to be the team that gets beat by Newcastle when Newcastle will win that trophy. So there'll always there'll always be reasons as to why trophies are particularly special. But it would definitely mean something if they were to win this first trophy in whatever it is six years.
0: And we were gifted a Jesse Lingard winner in that FA Cup final in in what was it twenty seventeen as well. I mean, one and of those that's longest. the thing
1: when people were slagging off Lingard in my mind, there was always. He saved United from losing an FA Cup finals to Palace with an unbelievable goal when they were down to 10 men. Mm. And Even if he never did another thing in the United shirt, that, for me, is enough. Do
0: you know what, Daniel? I mentioned it earlier. And uh, look, smiles don't win games, but there are smiles on the Old Trafford uh, faces around the stadium and amongst the players and management as well. Ted Hag all of a sudden is smiling. Martial, who doesn't smile ever, was smiling after his goal. And Jadon Sancho got the... One of the warmest receptions I've seen at Old Trafford for, for some time, certainly through the television it seemed that way anyway uh, How good is it to see him back? And, and I guess the other part of that question is the number 10 role um, How well would, do you think he'll fit in there?
1: I actually said to a friend this week that I thought that Sancho could play that role. That uh, I would be wondered if we'd use him there because there's quite because there the, the wings are taken up. He he quite likes to play off the left and there's Rashford. Rashford is immovable in that position at the moment, and there's Garnacho behind him. And then on the right there's Anthony, who is more of a kind of winger, I think, that Ten Half wants on that side. And so I wondered if he could play there. And I also sort of wondered if he could replace Ericsson, because I was thinking, I guess, about the way the Arsenal played that the way that they use Martin Odegaard and the way that they use Granit Xhaka, basically players who are constantly making third-man runs, running beyond the strikers. And I wondered if Sancho could play as an attacking midfield player rather than as a number 10. But as a number 10, the reason it works is really clear, I think, that he lacks the power and pace to go on the outside. At the moment, anyway, I wondered if he could get a bit, fit, a bit, a bit fitter. And he doesn't look as thick in the body as he did previously before he had this break so i think he's i think he's lost a bit of weight which should give him a bit more speed perhaps and he probably needs a little bit more power but he doesn't have the gas that rashford and garnacho do and he's never going to and in in order to beat people on the outside you either need phenomenal gas or you need a lot of power So he doesn't have that. And if a winger doesn't have that, then they're not as good as one who, who can go both ways. And one of the things we've seen in Rashford's development this season is the ability to go on the outside is one of the things that has made him a much better player now. Whereas inside, the space is much more restricted. So it's not so, so creating space is not so much about speed. It's more about feet and intelligence. And Sancho's ability to take the ball under pressure to do magical things with very soft feet and to move away from players in tight spaces. He's he's amazing at that. And he's also a really good finisher. And so those two things make me think that he could do a pretty good job there because he can also play on the half turn. The problem for him is that that's where Bruno Fernandes plays. But what it gives United is it gives United options whether they want to rest Bruno. Because I know people were talking about playing uh, Christian Eriksen against Reading and him getting injured. For me, when you overplay players, it's not so much the fact that someone like Andy Carroll might lumber into them and hurt them on purpose. It's more that you want the players to be fresh, come the massive games at the end of the season and you want them to be fresh through the season and the way that you achieve that is by rotation so United haven't had an alternative to Bruno really in the three years that they've had him if they do have one then that number one means that they've got flexibility for before games but as Tenach said last night they've got flexibility within games as well whether it's a swap you go there and I'll go here or whether it's replacements like last night happened. Sanche came on Bruno went to the right made a brilliant goal and so he he's got he's, he can he can do lots of things, Sancho. And once he starts playing with more confidence, it'll probably be possible for him to play anywhere across the front because it's more about how you feel once you know that the ability is there and the ability is there.
2: Is this um, is this the the one kind of caveat to how well the season has gone so far from Manchester United's perspective? Is that we're just uncertain about uh, not just Sancho but the relative strength and depth across the rest of the, the squad. Or do you feel relatively confident given how well the coaching has worked so far that actually the squad is deep enough to manage the challenge of competing on all the fronts they're competing on at the moment?
1: There there are a few players in that team that can't really be replaced. And that is the case. If you have brilliant players, sort of a facility of being a brilliant player is that you're missed when you're not there and it doesn't matter who you bring in. So I, th- I would say the player that they are least able to replace is probably Casemiro. And I don't think they would have lost that game to Arsenal if Casemiro had been, had been available for that one. And they don't much want to lose Martinez or Varane either because there's a big step down there. But otherwise, they have quite good replacements in every position. If Shaw doesn't play, they've got Malassia, the right backs are not, neither of them are that good, but there's not that much between them. Bruno obviously is is the leader of the team. He's the captain of the team. He's the best player in the team. But they do now, they do have other ways of scoring goals besides Bruno, which they didn't really have under Ole. So any team will miss good players. If you took Thomas Partey out of Arsenal for a long time, that would be a problem for them. If you took Martin Odegaard out of Arsenal for a long time, that would be a problem for them. And it's not necessarily because the squad strength isn't right. It's just because these players are brilliant players and there aren't players who are like them. And if you, it's not possible to have a player as good as them because they'd just be sitting at the side. So yeah, I,
2: I, I suppose that the one caveat would have been up until recently, we would have said Manchester City could largely have any of their best players playing. Even, you know, even without De Bruyne for a period last season, they were still able to reel off a lot of games. And then he came back into the team and the team improved. And you say, oh, he's slightly better than what they had as a replacement, but the replacement was excellent. Now with Cancelo gone, and uh, just a few questions there. I'm, I'm not convinced, as convinced that everybody is in the same form they were in at Manchester City. But I guess uh, you know that's the, the level you have to aspire to, and that's they're the champions for four out of the last five seasons because they have that squad. Um, notwithstanding what you've just said, is there any concern that they don't have a, enough depth just yet in the evolution yeah. to yeah, finish? Yeah, sure. It?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but they don't have like even if Casemiro, if Casemiro is not available, they don't have a sensible alternative to him. Obviously, there's not going to be someone as good, but there isn't really anyone else in the squad that can play that position. So there's no depth there. Uh, there's no there's no proper centre-forward, so there's no depth at centre-forward either because I guess there are players, Veghorst and uh, Martial, who would be good options at centre-forward if you had someone above them, but you don't, so they're lacking a little bit there. But otherwise, the squad's in reasonable shape. The thing about United still at this point is they still need really you might see four players for the first 11 they probably i um, ten probably wants a new goalkeeper because in the end De Gea is not good enough with his feet and he doesn't push the, he doesn't push the team up the pitch so if you remember the arsenal game one of the reasons the pressure got so on top at the end there is because united dropped deep and part of that is on the center backs whose job it is to keep the line further forward but that's also partly the goalkeeper who should constantly be pushing them up, except he doesn't run, doesn't really want to sweep in the space behind them. So he probably wants a goalkeeper. He probably wants a right back. He definitely wants to send it forward. And he also wants a midfield player because in the end, Christian Eriksen's a beautiful footballer with lovely feet, great imagination. But physically, he is not good enough for a team that wants to be ball dominant against another team that has players who are as good because their players will also be able to run harder and faster for longer. So that's four players United really want for the first team and if you look at the teams United want to compete with uh, Arteta now is signing players for the squad because he basically has a player that he wants that he likes in every 11 in every position Probably is going to upgrade Granit Xhaka next su- in the summer or, or or soon. But he likes all the players that he has and he's happy with them. And so he's now buying for the squad. Whereas United still need to buy for the first team. And City similarly, they basically have a first eleven and lots of options. And that's what United need to compete with. And they don't have that yet. They're still trying to buy first eleven players in the summer. So once they buy the first eleven players, actually the strength and depth isn't bad the strength in depth is not ideal now because the first 11 isn't where it needs to be, I think.
0: Once uh, once a team is winning, uh, Daniel, I guess the trust is there in the manager and, and the trust was there on transfer deadline day when Christian Eriksen, uh, his injury is announced that he's out to late April, early May. And then the the quick deal is made for Marcel Sabitzer and he was in the crowd there last night at Old Trafford watching on. What do you think he brings to the team and is he a, is he a good acquisition, a good replacement for Eriksen?
1: I mean, the ponytail obviously rankles slightly, but yeah, I think <laughs> ponytail that aside. relative to relative to what United, the situation that United found themselves in, where they're like, Jesus, we've got, we need to replace a key man immediately because we don't have options to go and get a player of Zubitzer's quality just like that. It sounds that feels like more or less the best they could have done because. He's an excellent player and he doesn't have Ericsson's soft feet or imagination or the ability to see the to see the best pass fastest. I don't think, but he actually might make the team better overall in some games because he has the physicality. He doesn't have the assists of Ericsson, but he has the goals. He's faster. He's also extremely versatile. So he can play across, he can play any midfield position. He can play behind the striker. He can play on the off the wings and just having those options in, in the squad. In a place where you lost an option is, should be really useful. I mean, you never know how a transfer is going to go really until you see it. I mean, there are a few, Wayne Rooney, Rio Ferdinand, where you're saying this literally cannot go wrong. So it it might turn out to be, it might turn out to be rubbish. We don't know how fit he is and how long it will take him to get up to match speed because he hasn't played that many 90 minutes this season. But in terms of the situation they were found, they found themselves in and what they were able to do. That was that was a pretty good effort, and I think I mean I I think he's a good player, and what I've seen of him, uh, I, he's someone that I think could add to the squad. He's probably not good enough to be a first eleven player for where United want to get to, but I'm sure he's good enough to be a rotation player. I mean, he's a better player than Scott McTominay, say, so, and he's probably a better player than Fred as well.
0: I know you'll you'll have seen um Bruno Fernandez's post match interview. Uh, you know, picking up another man of the match award. He's making a bit of a habit of that recently, as Bruno Fernandes, uh, where he, where he's talking about the, that outside of the boot pass and cross that he tried a couple of times last night. Giving Ricardo Coresma certainly much of the credit, uh, his professor, as he, as he put it. Um, I love that. I mean, it's brilliant, wasn't it? And, and Bruno is kind of a man, he's taken a lot of flack from United fans and critics, but um, he's coming good.
1: I mean anyone that was given that guy flack should probably have a very serious think about how they watch a game of football in that he's not he 's ne- he's not perfect, but he carried the team for three years more or less, and he was one of the last to go when it all really went dreadful under 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 rangnick where he'd been flogged to death for what was two and a half years by then it played. Game after game after game after game. I think he'd been, him and Harry Maguire, I think had been the busiest players in world football or something. And it was, people spoke about him like he was an idiot, that he was someone who just tried a Hollywood ball or a Hollywood shot every time. Whereas it was very clear that that was just his job in the team because the team didn't function that well because they couldn't pass through midfield. So they weren't able to dominate the ball. So when he got the ball, he didn't get the ball that often. So he had to try and force something to happen. And it was obvious, I think, to anyone who is sensible that if you suddenly put him in a better team with a good midfield player next to him, Casemiro and Ericsson, that he was going to get loads more of the ball and that there was no reason to suppose that he lacked the football brain to not try and do something ludicrous every time he got it because he's got speed, he's got tenacity, he was the leader of the team already. Why? I didn't understand why people didn't think he'd be capable of giving a five-yard pass when a five-yard pass was necessary, mm. which is what he's doing now. Why would he not be capable of running up and down and playing sensibly? It was just the way that he was playing was a product of the way that the team that he was in played. It was a team that played in transition, really, that liked to play on the counter. So his role was to try and spring something. Yeah. And now, now that's not the case. So, I mean, people that were giving him stick, I I, I can't understand that just... He was the, hes the best player of the post-Fergie era by miles and miles and miles. His numbers are astonishingly good, and he's a brilliant footballer who is—and he's also reliable. I've right. seen a lot of good footballers in the post-Fergie era who have been Angel Di Maria, Paul Pogba, brilliant players who have been unreliable. But Bruno is was reliable, still is reliable, and it's no surprise to me that he's. Even better playing in a really good scene.
2: we got to leave it there, Daniel. Good stuff. Thanks a million.
1: Have a good day, everyone. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.